Welcome to the Kyiv Post podcast, where you can tune into stories that give you a deeper understanding of Ukraine. I'm your host, Alina Kent. I'm a multimedia producer and lifestyle journalist here at the Kyiv Post. The anniversary of Ukraine's 30th Independence Day is coming up on August 24th, and the Kyiv Post has this week's print issue dedicated to the holiday. We have 13 great stories covering topics from Ukraine's fight for independence throughout history to featuring the new generation of successful business people in Ukraine, so be sure to check it out. We've selected a few of the topics that are featured in the Independence Day issue and sat down with our journalists, starting with Ukraine's three major uprisings with Anastasia Lapatina, dominant figures that have shaped Ukraine in the past 30 years with Alexander Curie and Max Hunder, debunking common misconceptions about modern Ukraine with Asami Terajima, and how technology improves Ukraine's image with Darina Antoniuk. As we are celebrating Ukraine's 30th year of independence, we cannot forget the efforts it took to get here. Sitting down with us is staff writer Anastasia Lapatina, who has more on the topic. So over the last 30 years, Ukraine witnessed three revolutions. The revolution on granite in 1990, the Orange Revolution in 2004, and the Revolution of Dignity in 2013 and 2014. So basically, we've had a revolution every decade. In 1990, Ukrainian students launched a mass hunger strike to demand Ukraine's removal from the Soviet Union. The students had five demands, but the key ones were to stop the government from signing the new Union Treaty with Moscow and call for the new parliamentary elections. Even though not everyone took part in the hunger strike, Thousands of students from all over the country joined the protest in their hometowns or in Kiev, and in 16 days, the government agreed to accept the strikers' demands. The revolution on granite was significant because it was the first time that the youth stood up for Ukraine's independence, which was eventually declared just 10 months after the uprising. The Orange Revolution began after the rigged presidential election in November of 2004. According to how the government initially announced the results, the pro-Russian candidate Viktor Yanukovych was leading against the pro-Western candidate Viktor Yushchenko. Local and international observers said there were many violations and Yushchenko called on his supporters to protest. Hundreds of thousands of people took to the streets and a month later, the Supreme Court ordered a revote. As expected, Yushchenko ended up winning by about 8%. The Revolution of Dignity, also known as Euromaidan, was by far the most transformative uprising Ukraine has had. The protest began in November of 2013, when President Yanukovych refused to sign the association agreement with the European Union. The crowds were relatively small until on November 30th, the riot police violently attacked the several hundreds of protesters that camped on Independence Square in Kiev. Most of them were university students, they sustained heavy injuries, and the next day, according to different sources, up to a million Ukrainians flooded central Kiev to protest against the government's tyranny. But more than anything, Ukrainians wanted to break away from Russia and from its Soviet past. After a long-fought three months that left over 100 Ukrainians dead, the Ukrainian people finally won. Yanukovych fled to Russia, and the country began adjusting to a new era marked by Russia's annexation of Crimea and war in the East. Because of Euromaidan, Ukrainians have arguably become more patriotic than ever. Many people began speaking exclusively Ukrainian, buying locally produced goods and supporting Ukrainian artists. The revolution really solidified Ukraine's pro-Western course and made clear that Ukraine wants to be independent from Russia, both politically and culturally. 
As Ukraine transformed itself with its three revolutions, there have always been individuals that have played a role in the country's progress or lack thereof. We are joined by business staff writer Alexander Curie and staff writer Max Hunder, who picked 30 influential figures that shaped Ukraine as the country it is today. We won't have time to go over every single one of them, so make sure to read their list in its entirety in the Kiev Post's Independence Issue. Now, Alex, who did you choose to highlight as someone who's shaped Ukraine? So I, it was hard to pick, and I picked uh, Rinat Akhmetov, which is, and who is, sorry, Ukraine's most discreet, but also uh, Ukraine's richest oligarch. Rinat Akhmetov's fortune was valued at $7.6 billion in May 2021. Akhmetov, raised in a working-class family near Donetsk, used this industrial region and background to build his empire and become Ukraine's wealthiest man. Now, his holding company, System Capital Management, includes over 100 businesses in metals, mining, banking, telecommunications, media, and real estate. Akhmetov's company, DTEK, is the largest electricity producer in Ukraine, while Metinvest is the biggest producer of coal and iron in the country. Now, he also owns London's most expensive property, a luxury apartment at the One Hyde Park, and a palace on the French Riviera, formerly owned by the infamous King Leopold II, of Belgium. He also has reportedly had several uh, dozen lawmakers in his pockets, an accusation, of course, he denies. I picked Akhmetov because he is one, he is a driving force in this country, right? And in uh, 2014, it's, uh, as we like it or not, uh, he did help uh, Ukraine's government to be more stable in, in eastern Ukraine because he sided with uh, the government, interim government at the, at the time, and he basically helped uh, support Mariupol, uh, I mean, at least economically, and against uh, Russian-backed separatists. So we, he indeed uh, has a lot of, of, you know, has a lot of bad from Akhmetov, but he's also, for me, a good example of how oligarchs in this country can be used sometimes as a driven force to uh, help stabilize the country rather than destabilize it sometimes. So he's an ambivalent figure. And that's, I think that's why uh, I chose him. And that's why I think is, in a way, as interesting, if not more interesting than the... Um, you know, uh, petulant and, and, and swearing uh, Kolomoisky or the uh, caricature of Putin's henchman Medvedchuk or even the caricature of oligarch who is Firtash. Um, Akhmetov is, I believe, a complex figure and a more complex figure than what we imagine as a cliche of the oligarch. And Max, who did you decide to feature from the list? Uh, my pick from the list is Leonid Kravchuk, who was the first president of independent Ukraine. Kravchuk used to be a high-level communist. He ran the Ukrainian Communist Party's propaganda department and was chairman of the Rada. As the Soviet Union started to crumble, he started making efforts to appear as a reformer. He ran against Vyacheslav Chernobyl in 1991 for the presidency and won a landslide victory. That's significant because Chernobyl was a dissident in the 80s, along the lines of those that took power in Poland and the Baltics, whereas Kravchuk was a man of the old system. Uh, to his credit, Kravchuk did preserve Ukraine's geopolitical sovereignty against Russian encroachment. 
but he also presided over a vast economic failure, which caused him to lose his re-election bid in 1994. GDP nosedive inflation hit 10,000%, and many state-owned assets were privatised for a fraction of their value. Great indictment of the era is the story of the Black Sea Shipping Company, which had the largest commercial fleet in the world in the 80s, but the speed with which the company fell apart completely in the 90s was just astonishing. They were selling these big, magnificent ships for a pittance. They had 255 of them in 1992, and by 1995, they had about 70. A few years later, they ended up with six. Kravchuk lost his re-election bid in 1994 and stayed out in frontline politics after that. Although he was affiliated for a while with Viktor Medvedchuk, who is actually one of the star villains on our list. In my opinion, uh, Kravchuk's legacy is the squandering of numerous golden opportunities to enact more radical reforms and put Ukraine the path that its westerly neighbours took after 1991. Moving on, we're here with Kyiv Post staff writer Asami Terajima, who has been writing about common misconceptions about modern Ukraine. Welcome, Asami. Hi, thanks for having me. So what can you tell us about some common misconceptions about Ukraine? One of the misconceptions that I hear very often is uh, people referring to Ukraine as the Ukraine. So using the definite article that is only appropriate if you're referring to a region in one country. And it was usually used when uh, Ukraine used to belong to the Soviet Union. But because Ukraine is now an independent nation, it's not appropriate anymore to refer to this way. So... Instead of saying the Ukraine, people should be saying Ukraine. Even many Western leaders slip up and refer to Ukraine as the Ukraine. It's quite easy just to say Ukraine, and you may offend certain Ukrainians if you use the definite article. And on a similar note, referring to Kyiv as Kyiv and not Kiev, with the Ukrainian spelling of K-Y-I-V and not the Russian K-I-E-V. Another one that I hear very often is how people think Ukraine is part of Russia. I can't count how many times I had to explain uh, when I say like I'm going back to Ukraine people are like isn't that like where, where in Russia is that like this happened to me when I lived in the US and when I was visiting Japan I've also heard a lot of people justify Russia's illegal annexation of Crimea by saying that well to be fair Crimea always belongs to Russia this is a dangerous misconception uh, that is unfortunately spread to a lot of places around the world while the Russian leadership sends out a narrative to the world that Crimea has always belonged to Russia the reality is uh, less than 6% of Crimea's written history uh, from the 9th century BC to today is actually tied to Russia so when Russia illegally annexed Crimea from Ukraine in 2014 the peninsula had previously only belonged to Russia for a total of 168 years Crimea was part of the Ottoman Empire for twice that. So many of the misconceptions arise because many people around the world don't know much about Ukraine. So when they hear things like Crimea had always belonged to Russia or other misconceptions, they're more likely to believe it and then pass it on to other people. Since Ukraine is celebrating its 30th anniversary this year, I thought it's about time to leave these misconceptions behind and let people know what kind of country Ukraine is. We've covered revolutions, corrupt officials, and debunked some misconceptions about Ukraine. We're now at our final segment with tech and business staff writer Darina Antonyuk about something that puts Ukraine in the spotlight, how technology has improved Ukraine's global image. 
For many years, foreigners dubbed Ukraine a corrupt and bureaucratic country, but now they view it as a technology hub with thousands of skilled tech specialists and favorable taxation for technology firms. International tech giants like Samsung, Google, and Viber open their research and development centers in the country and hire Ukrainian techies. Some Ukrainian innovations like digital documents and the popularity of online payments are even better than in the rest of the world. So why did Ukraine's tech become successful? Well, experts call it a digital leap, a phenomenon when a country skips several development stages and embraces innovations at an early stage. Take for instance online payments. Ukraine is among the world leaders in the number of contactless payments. Half of Ukrainians are ready to completely abandon cash in the next five years and pay with credit cards, mobile phones, smart watches and fitness bracelets. Historically, Ukrainians loved cash. It allowed them to pay envelope salaries and avoid taxes. But as smartphones and mobile internet become more accessible and e-commerce is booming, the financial habits of many Ukrainians will continue to change. And what about Ukraine's plan to become a state in a smartphone? Actually, we are confidently moving forward to accomplish this goal. Over 6 million people are using the state mobile app DIA. Ukraine has become the world's first country that legalized digital passports. Starting in August, all Ukrainian institutions are obliged to accept them. Over 70 state services are now available online, and Ukraine plans to digitize all government services by 2024. Uh, It's great news for Ukrainians, but also for investors and businesses, because it will reduce bureaucracy and corruption in the country. And what do you think will be the next big milestones for the Ukrainian tech industry? In my opinion, Ukraine's blockchain industry will boom in the next few years. Ukraine leads the world in cryptocurrency use and has one of the largest communities in blockchain of blockchain developers. Ukraine still doesn't recognize cryptocurrency as an asset, property or as valid payment tool, but the government will introduce several laws aiming to deshadow the crypto market and encourage foreign investment in Ukraine. Another milestone is the development of artificial intelligence. We already have many companies that use AI. For example, the proofreading service Grammarly uses AI to help people become better writers, while People AI, another startup, uses it to forecast sales. Considering that the market of artificial intelligence is growing globally, we expect that more AI-driven companies will emerge in the future. Corruption, revolution, war, and innovation, it's been a long and tumultuous journey for Ukraine the past 30 years to get to where it is today. It's exciting to see what the future has in store for this wonderful nation, and where Ukraine will be in another three decades from now. Make sure to check out the Kyiv Post's Independence Day issue for a more in-depth look on the stories highlighted during this podcast special, and the other wonderful articles, including where us journalists share what we love and don't love about Ukraine. You can read it all on our website, kievpost.com. And check out our other podcast episodes that are available on all streaming platforms. Stay safe, Slava Ukraina, and subscribe to the Kiev Post.